Good morning. In today's headlines, some harrowing news out of Texas over the weekend. A shooting at a mall and a SUV driving through a crowd of people left multiple people dead and injured. We have the details. Title 42 is set to end this week. The Biden administration says it has some new rules to help stem the tide of illegal immigration, but some are skeptical. Police arrest several people as protesters demand justice for Jordan Neely. And a viral video shows what happened after Daniel Penny released Neely from the chokehold. The EU is proposing sanctions on Chinese companies aiding Russia's war effort in Ukraine. China says it will protect its interests. And if you have the will, there's a way. A wave-riding legend enters the Guinness World Records at almost 90 years old. We have the story. Good morning and welcome to NTD. I'm Tiffany Meyer in for Kevin Hogan. Good morning, I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Monday, May 8th. Happy Monday, everybody. How was your weekend? It was good, but felt really short. I agree. Uh, as per usual, I think we should look at some, uh, some of those four-day work weeks again in those interviews, if you know what I mean. All right, but we're starting off today with a couple of tragic incidents. First, from Texas over the weekend, a shooting at a mall left eight people dead and at least seven wounded. It happened in the city of Allen, north of Dallas. Police shot and killed the suspect. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. Eyewitness video captured the sounds of gunshots ringing out from the Allen Premium Outlets Mall on Saturday. Police Chief Brian Harvey says the responding officer was near the mall on an unrelated call. He heard gunshots, located the gunshot, located the shooter, neutralized the shooter, neutralized the threat. The suspect has been identified as 33-year-old Mauricio Garcia. Police believe he acted alone and are still trying to figure out the motive behind the attack. One mall employee says his first reaction when the shooting started was to lock the door and take everyone to the back. Helicopters was coming in, SWAT team was coming in. I was like, yo, what's going on? And then, and then it happened another time, like a second time. Then this time it was for real. You know, we all went in the back, got, got safe. Residents are shaken up. Allen is a community of around 100,000 people. People are injured, they're really bad, some dead, bodies. Surreal, very surreal. You don't realize everywhere. Nine victims in total were taken to local hospitals. Two of them have since died. Of the seven survivors, three were in critical condition as of late Saturday. The youngest among those being treated is just five years old. President Biden issued a proclamation honoring the victims and offered condolences to the families. He called on Congress to pass gun control bills for bans on so-called assault weapons in high-capacity magazines, among other measures. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says despite people wanting a quick solution, the long-term answer is addressing the mental health problems behind it. He also says there should be increased penalties for criminals with guns. The FBI is asking witnesses to submit any video or photo evidence of the incident to their website. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And another horrific act took place in the Lone Star State yesterday. A man driving an SUV plowed through a crowd of people waiting at a bus stop that was in the border city of Brownsville outside of a shelter for Ill illegal immigrants. Eight people were killed and at least 11 others injured. Authorities say the suspect is a Hispanic male, but his main name has not been released yet. They also say they don't know if the driver hit the people intentionally. He was arrested after his vehicle rolled over on charges of reckless driving, and there are likely more charges to come. 
The suspect was taken to the hospital for his injuries and is now under 24-hour supervision. Police took a sample of his blood and are testing it for drugs and alcohol. A police spokesperson says the suspect hasn't been cooperating and gave authorities multiple names. They've had to fingerprint him to try and get his identity. Here's Brown, Brownsville's police department spokesperson yesterday. Right now we're treating it as an accident, but we're definitely not trying to say it wasn't intentional. That is what our detectives are trying to, to figure out right now. It is a very, it is a fluid case right now as we go in and information might change, you know, at a drop of a dime. So that's why we're trying to keep everybody informed. Police will provide more information about the crash today at a press conference. The FBI is assisting with the investigation. And officials say all those who died were immigrants and that most were Venezuelans. Border Patrol was called in and is working to confirm the identities of the victims. And with Title 42 set to end, the Biden administration says it's ramping up pressure on migrants to take more legal pathways to enter the country. This on face new and expedited deportation processes. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the proposed new rule. Such deportation processes are set to come with the implementation of a new rule the administration is set to finalize. The rule would deny asylum to many immigrants who are caught crossing the southern border illegally. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas defended his record at the border. The border is not open, it has not been open, and it will not be open subsequent to May 11th. Mayorkas says those who don't access lawful pathways will be presumed ineligible for asylum under the new rule. They will also have a higher burden of proof to overcome that assumption of ineligibility. We are building lawful pathways and we are delivering consequences for those who do not use those meaningfully accessible pathways. Under Title 42, border agents were able to rapidly send back many illegal immigrants to Mexico. Mayorkas says such immigrants will now be processed under the Title 8 immigration law. The process to remove an illegal immigrant under Title 8 currently takes longer than Title 42. Senator Kirsten Sinema discussed the humanitarian crisis she foresees on Fox News. The Biden administration had two years to prepare for this and did not do so. Meanwhile, as politicians discussed the crisis, Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz tweeted what a week on the ground at the southern border looks like. He wrote there were nearly 55,000 apprehensions and 19,000 gotaways. Seized drugs included 100 pounds of cocaine, 1,000 pounds of marijuana, nearly 3,000 pounds of meth, and almost 140 pounds of fentanyl. 16 firearms were also confiscated, six sex offenders and seven gang members were apprehended, and two agents were assaulted. Local leaders in El Paso say they expect an influx of immigrants. Homeless Center Director John Martin says the city has big challenges ahead, with shelter capacity being his biggest concern. Uh, we just need to have significant uh, bed space, probably between 1,500 and 2,000. And currently we're working with about 500, just to put that into perspective. Martin says the center's first priority is to bring families with children in, regardless of documentation status. He wants to ensure that no child is left on the streets. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And more immigration news, Rockland County declared a state of emergency on Saturday. That's ahead of the expected arrival of hundreds of illegal immigrants bus from New York City. Around 400 immigrants were expected to stay at the Armoni Inn and Suites in Orangeburg. Rockland County Executive Ed Day says the state of emergency means the contract New York City has with the hotel is no longer valid.
He says the county already has a serious housing crisis and can't handle more illegal immigrants. Looking now, looking now to the government's debt ceiling dilemma, a group of 42 GOP senators said no to raising the limit on Saturday, at least not without substantial cuts to spending. The group of Republicans includes Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. They sent a letter to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. They say they support House Republicans' proposed spending cuts and budget reform as a starting point for negotiations. President Biden is scheduled to sit down with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tomorrow. But the White House has signaled there would be little room for compromise. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is urging Congress to recognize their responsibility in averting what she called an economic and financial catastrophe. Yellen has hinted at declaring the debt ceiling unconstitutional if the standoff is not resolved. A new viral video shows the aftermath of the subway chokehold incident. Marine Daniel Penny and passengers can be seen attending to the now-deceased Jordan Neely. Entity's Daniel Monaghan has more on that and the protests Neely death have ignited. The video shows Penny and other passengers trying to put an apparently unconscious Neely into the recovery position. One passenger comments on the danger of leaving someone on their back, while another passenger seems to compliment Penny on his chokehold technique. The passengers can be seen moving Neely's arm behind his head and trying to get him onto his side. Near the end of the video, Neely appears to take a deep breath. Penny's criminal defense attorneys say Penny and other passengers were acting in self-defense. They say Neely had been aggressively threatening their client and other passengers on the train. Neely reportedly said he was fed up and didn't care anymore whether he would go to jail and be sentenced to life imprisonment. No arrests were immediately made by police, prompting outrage from some who demanded criminal charges for Neely's death. A grand jury is expected to decide if Penny will be charged. Neely had a lengthy criminal record including more than 40 prior arrests ranging from disorderly conduct to assault. Most recently, he was charged with attacking a 67-year-old woman. He allegedly punched her in the face. The woman suffered severe facial injuries including a broken nose. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Meanwhile, more protests erupted over the weekend. Some protesters stood directly on the subway tracks. Police arrested several individuals. And over to the Golden State, California is one step closer to approving reparation payments for black residents. A task force voted on Saturday to approve recommendations. The recommendations call for a formal apology from the state for slavery. It would potentially give up to $800 billion to descendants of slaves living in California. Some economists estimate it could cost $1.2 million per person. Governor Gavin Newsom formed the task force in 2020 to examine the harms slavery caused. Some state leaders have questioned if California can even afford the reparations. It would be more than two and a half times the state's annual budget. The proposal now heads to state lawmakers for consideration. And coming up, the EU has proposed sanctions on Chinese companies it suspects of helping Russia in the war with Ukraine. And a big chunk of Americans are affected by hair loss. Apparently, this is something you can fix. How to do that after the break.
Welcome back. The European Union has proposed sanctions on Chinese companies accused of aiding Russia's war in Ukraine. The development is the first of this kind since the conflict began last year. The move is likely to stoke tensions with Beijing. NTD's Costa Menes has more. Seven Chinese businesses have been listed in a new package of sanctions to be discussed by EU member states this week. This according to a report obtained by the Financial Times. It includes two mainland Chinese companies, 3HC Semiconductors and Kingpai Technology, as well as two companies from the United Arab Emirates and one from Armenia. Sanctions will require unanimous approval from all 27 member states. The EU had so far refrained from imposing any sanctions on Chinese companies, citing lack of evidence that China was supplying weapons to Moscow. Some of the companies, including 3HC and King Pai, were already previously placed under sanctions by the US. Other countries involved in the manufacture and supply of drones to Russia, such as Iran, could also soon face sanctions. The EU Commission has also submitted a proposal to widen the range of banned exports to Russia. The Commission did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Chinese Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin said if sanctions come into force, China will take firm action to safeguard its interests. Since the start of the conflict in February last year, the EU has adopted 10 sanctions packages against Russian individuals and companies. It's an effort to inflict economic hardship, making financing of the war more difficult. Cost MNS, NTD News. Fire crews battled raging wildfires in western Canada this weekend. Around 30,000 people in Alberta were forced to evacuate as of yesterday. Alberta's premier declared a provincial state of emergency after reviewing the fires. It will help access emergency funds and mobilize resources from outside the province. Cooler temperatures and some rain have brought relief to a few areas. But officials warn that hot and dry conditions are predicted to return in a few days. Here's Alberta's wildlife information manager yesterday. At the moment, there are 108 wildfires burning in Alberta. 31 of those are out of control. And in the last 24 hours, we noted 16 new wildfire starts. The total area of the province burned this year has now passed 375,000 hectares. Officials say luckily no Albertans or firefighters have been severely injured so far. 16 communities were still under a state of local emergency yesterday morning. Going over to business news, Warren Buffett gave a speech at Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting on the weekend. As one of the world's most famous investors, he's had incredible luck with stock picking. One part of his success, dividends. Entities Colin Fredrickson explains. Warren Buffett is the most successful investor in the world and the fifth wealthiest person. One part of his success involves investing in companies that pay dividends. Dividends are a portion of a company's profits that it gives to its investors. This is a source of income for the investors. Companies do this to reward investors for buying its stock. It also shows the company is doing well. Buffett is expected to make $5.7 billion this year on dividends alone. That's not really his primary criteria. That's one of many criteria he look at, he looks at, and he's he's most focused on uh, stocks that are going to compound their earnings over a very very long period of time. George C is the chairman of Annandale Capital, where he advises on over five billion dollars. He says that while Warren Buffett does receive a lot in dividends, 
Buffett mainly looks for companies that will perform well for a very long period of time. Where he never has to sell and incur the large uh, corporate tax that would, would result from selling stock positions. So his favorite holding period time is forever. <laughs> and several of his stocks he has held close to forever. These stocks include American Express, Moody's, and Procter & Gamble. His all-time longest holding is Coca-Cola, which he's owned for 35 years. As for investing for dividends, George C. says a lot of people tend to focus on how high the dividend is right now. But he says what people really need to focus on is the dividend growth rate over time. C. says people should find companies that are financially strong and regularly raise their dividends. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Moving on to some health tips for you, 80 million Americans are affected by hair loss. And to put that into perspective, that's almost the entire population of Germany. But it is something you can fix. I spoke to an expert. Joining me now is William Gonitz. He is a hair loss expert and the founder of Advanced Trichology. Good morning, William. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Of course, now to fix a problem, we would first want to hear more about the cause. So what are the most common reasons for hair loss? It's a great question. It's actually the question that I get probably more often than anything else. So realistically, there's only three core causes for hair loss. So one is genetics, and that's pretty straightforward. So male and female pattern hair loss is what most people know about, so male and female pattern baldness. Uh, the second is nutritional. So nutritional hair loss is the most widely overlooked hair loss worldwide. And it's finding a little bit of some footing in the medical community now, but ultimately it has to do with lower levels of folate, vitamin D3, ferritin, and zinc. Uh, those are some core nutrients that when they are lower than optimal, you will lose hair. And it's really the simple cause and effect. And then the third reason is inflammatory. Now, inflammatory is this huge bucket. And most people want to talk about stress. Stress falls in the inflammatory bucket. You also have thyroid. You have things called telogen effluvium, which is something that oftentimes happens after COVID infection uh, or even after a type of trauma from childbirth. But even postpartum can be considered an inflammatory response. But at the end of the day, they all sort of fit into these three core reasons. And once you identify them, obviously you're able to control the reasons for the loss more completely. Right, now, um, as you said, it sounds pretty straightforward with genetics, and it sounds like you can do something about the latter two, um, but how about genetics? Is that, do you have any tips on how to solve this issue? Well, ironically, genetics is one of the easiest to take care of. So nowadays, luckily, there's all sorts of different components and medications that will allow you to control the genetic issue. The genetic issue is a direct sensitivity for dihydrotestosterone at some point in your life. So even you know men, women, they both suffer from the same thing. Their ecosystem of hormones is different though. So obviously you're gonna treat a female differently than you would a male, but at the end of the day, it's blocking DHT. So there are medications like finasteride 
and that is something that can help you block DHT for men and postmenopausal women. There are topical applications that will help control the impact of DHT on the receptor sites in the hair follicle. Those can be natural. Uh, so we have a product called Nutri-M, which actually controls the amount of DHT that's impacting the hair follicle. Uh, and then there's also internal. So there's nutritional supplements that would include saw palmetto, stinging nettle, pygeum. These are things that are going to buffer the amount of DHT converting inside the hair follicle. I want to talk to you about the uh, nutrition part is, so what is, do you think, what do we, what should we eat to, you know, prevent hair loss? Or is there, could it even be that um, regrowth could be a topic? Sure. Well, regrowth is always a possibility within the last three to five years. So if somebody's lost hair in the last three to five years, you can regrow that hair. So the hair follicle is still active, it's still alive, it can be manipulated and stimulated. So from a uh, overall perspective of what you should be consuming, ironically, it is really per your blood type. So if you are an individual who is an O blood type, you should be eating a lot of meat, you should be eating a lot of vegetables, stay away from gluten and legumes and fruits. Whereas if you're an A blood type, you really should be eating a lot of legumes and fruits and vegetables and stay away from meat. But the core issue is you must have enough vitamin D3, you must have enough ferritin, and you must have enough zinc to allow your hair follicles to have enough fertilizer, so to speak, to grow as thick and full as possible. So dietary is subject to your blood type, but at the end of the day, there are key nutrients that must be in a proper range for you to have the thickest, fullest hair possible. Thank you so much. It was so very interesting, especially concerning, um, it concerns such a large chunk of Americans. So, so I really appreciate it, William Gonitz. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for having me. Coming up, a wave-riding legend, a Japanese surfer, enters the Guinness World Records at almost 90 years old. Welcome back. A former Japanese businessman has been named Guinness World Records' oldest male surfer. At almost 90 years old, he's still stoked. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the wave-riding legend from Japan. Seiji Sano used to be a business owner in a past life. As he's grown older, he's embarked on an adventurous new chapter. At the age of 80, he climbed Japan's highest mountain, Mount Fuji. Then he took up surfing. My family didn't mind, but my business partners often told me that it was dangerous because of my age. Even now, people often say things like, you're too old. I was a little uncomfortable about this, or at least that's how I felt. My family members often say that I'm too old to do dangerous things. Sanu will turn 90 later this year, after Guinness World Records recognized him as the planet's oldest male surfer. But he tries to stay modest. I didn't have any difficulties, and I never thought of quitting even once. I'm a self-proclaimed three-day-a-month kind of person, so I'm a lazy person. But I got a certificate from Guinness World Records. Sanu says he decided to try surfing after he learned about it at his local bank. A banker said the secret to his tan was surfing. Sanu picked up the sport quickly. Turns out he's a natural. I was born in 1933. So when I played, I played in nature, the ocean, the mountains, or the river. I enjoyed playing in the ocean in the summer when I was covered in waves. That's probably what I enjoy most now that I'm surfing, and I don't feel scared. 
Sanu operates a lumber supply business. He works nine to five supplying wood to building companies. Surfing provides him an escape from the grind. I'd like to see how many years I can enjoy surfing. I'd like to continue doing it, but I don't know what will happen to me in terms of my age. With that in mind, I enjoy each and every day. I can do it because it's fun, and that's the best way to keep going. Sanu always makes sure to stretch before paddling into the surf. At nearly 90 years old, he needs to stay limber. That is, if he wants to hold on to the title. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. That looks so fun. I really wanted to learn surfing and never did, but it looks like it's never too late to pick it up. Have you ever surfed? I have actually. When I used to live in California, it's quite fun. Oh, right. You grew up by the beach. That's so fun. Tell me more. Did you did you do any competitions just for fun? No, it was just for fun, but it's actually a great workout. Like, you don't realize how much you're doing, and then, like, after a surfing wall, like, push-ups became so easy, and I and was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he seems like he's in great shape. I think it said he uh, he climbed Mount Fuji at the age of 80. That's I'm not, wild. Yeah, I'm not sure I could do it right now, so. It's a lot more energy than us. Yes. I mean, we sit at the desk all day, so. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Tiffany Meyer.